0: So I had driven into work uh, bright and early on a crispy fall morning. I was commuting just south of Nashville, Tennessee. My office at a print distributor was in downtown Nashville. And um, so I I made made my way to work early that day because I was trying to update computers for the sales team. And uh, I figured if I got in early, the sales team was never in there early. But I digress. But I got in there early so I could run updates, that sort of thing. I was basically the your company's computer guy. That's what I was for a lot, a lot of my my early career. And uh, I got in there early. I was running updates. It was just after 7 a.m. in Nashville. And one of the salespeople, I had left one of their like they left their little radio on in their office. And I thought, you know, I was going to turn it off, but then it was like on an AM talk station or something like that. And then I kept I kept hearing I was moving from computer to computer so I wasn't really listening really closely but I heard some some news report say that there was a crop duster plane that had run into a building in Manhattan. And I thought that's weird. I I, I grew up, I know farming. We we saw crop dusters all around us and they weren't really in cities. Crop dusters don't go to city. So I find, I was trying to like, I was working and doing other stuff like that. Were they spraying Central Park? Like I didn't really understand why a crop duster would be in Manhattan. And, uh, and then other salespeople came in and I realized there must be something going on. And everybody was surrounding the TV in, in the break room. And of course, you know what transpired. We were all, many of us watching, by then, everybody had tuned in, or many people had, to see the second plane hit that tower. And uh, boy, just devastating. It's, it's just hard even to think back over that morning. Think of how many things in our country changed that day. So many things happened, and and for some of the younger generation, it's more of just a footnote in history now. They, they don't remember. but. I, I wasn't even born when JFK was killed, but when when I talked to my parents about those moments, it's generally those sorts of things. And I remember when the Challenger, was, you know, fell out of the sky in the mid-'80s, and that was a big deal, but this felt different. Uh, and I, I, I look back on that date. In 2005, Jackie and I were, were able to go to New York and see it. And four years later, it was still just a big kind of crater in the ground, uh, and, and we were surprised to see even the buildings around where the towers were, they got so hot that the windows had melted, it was crazy to think about the devastation, and every time I go back, every time we've been back to New York, we've been back I think four times now, I, I'm at the point where I can't, even, I can't even go to the 9-11 museum, can't do it. They've done a good job with it. If you've ever seen some of the photos, they've done a great job with it. Great, but it's just too heavy for me. It's too heavy. I mean, now they've got cell phone calls, recordings, you know. And I just can't. I can't do it. And and I, I, I would encourage you at some point to see it because you're just leaning into that devastation. Yeah. I just find myself praying for all the families that are still affected by all that happened. And today, obviously, it's 21 years ago that, it, that America changed a lot. And uh, I'm, just not, I'm not afraid to admit that I felt a sense of kind of national pride that day. I felt a sense of heaviness for those who lost their lives, but I felt a sense of patriotism. I felt a sense of... Uh, sort of this this love for my country enough to want to defend it. I remember friends of mine wanting to jump in. And they were volunteering to go be in the army. I mean, things were happening that I'd never seen before, and and I know previous generations before me had maybe they had similar things that happened around World War II. And people were rallying together and they were praying and the houses of worship were full. People were there was a sense of unity and and pride in the nation that happened. But I'd never seen it until after. 9-11. And maybe some of you saw that too for the first time and what that felt like. Who, who here remembers that morning? Kind of remember where you were, what was going on? It's hard to forget that. It's hard to forget that moment. I remember the unity that we saw, just just feeling that sense of, I don't know, I don't, maybe I'm saying it wrong, but sort of a love for country and because it felt like an attack on us. It didn't feel like just an attack on some random people in some tower somewhere. It felt like an attack on us. And I remember the songs being written. You remember that song by Alan Jackson? It was on country radio. I think it crossed platforms, multiple platforms. But it was, Where Were You When the World Stopped Turning? Remember that song? No. I, I, I still get a little, a little teary when I hear that song. It's like I, I want to shut it off because I don't want to lean into that how that felt. And maybe, maybe you, you can remember that. We, it's like we, had, we unified on sort of a common enemy. And, and the thing is, people from all over the world were sh- showing their support for our country. And it just felt, uh, just to be alive in there felt, yeah, you felt a sense of communal uh, patriotism. And for me, it was the strongest I've ever felt that in my, in my, in my time. And it's, it's made me think about I, I, we, we keep hearing this word that's kicked around a lot right now, whether that be on social media or different platforms, but this this word is called deconstruction. Have you heard this term before? It seems to be applied to religion, institutions, but it's also being applied to civic life and government and all these things, and a lot of younger generations are asking these questions, hard questions, about w- what we believe and what works and what doesn't work, And and in that discussion, I've heard the ideas of patriotism and love for country come up, sometimes in a positive view, sometimes in a negative view. And I just got to ask the question, right? Because I have felt patriotism. Is it wrong? Is, is love for country wrong? Because I don't think so. Is it, is it okay to, 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 to wrestle with this? And in a time of uh, sort of people kind of asking big questions, I think it's time for us as Christ followers to find out, you know, where, where do we stand? Where, where is, how do, we, how do we be a good citizen of wherever God has put us, right? Be a good citizen, but also faithfully live out the ways of the kingdom. That Jesus is the king. And so how do we live in that tension? How do we resolve it? Can it be resolved? What I'm very thankful about is that Jesus saw this coming a long time ago. Jesus saw this coming. We're going to look at John 17 today. We're going to lean into what? How he navigated it. This tension between country and God's country, if you will, right? This tension between two different kingdoms, it seems like, in the world but not of it. That's what we're going to be talking about today because, look, and maybe some of you had the same experience, but I grew up in smaller churches where we sang patriotic hymns. Anybody do that when you were a kid? I mean, in fact, I've got two hymnals in my office right now. I can show you toward the back. There's like five or six or seven hymns. My country tis of thee. Battle hymn of the republic. All of those, we sang those. In fact, in elementary school, I don't know if they still do this, but in elementary school, we used to stand up every day and put our hand over our heart and say the Pledge of Allegiance. Anybody did that, right? And so how to, again... Right, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to paint something here. I'm trying to show a tension between how do we be a good citizen, but also honor Jesus. And thankfully, Jesus addressed this. So we're going to lean into what he said about how to, how to handle this. Because look, this has always been the case for God's people. Think about it. You have Abraham, right? God tells him to move to a, a, a different land, but, but God doesn't even give him that land yet. He said, you know what, your, your descendants and there are going to be lots of them, are going to to kind of own this property at some point. And so he got to see it, but they didn't get to live there. Well, he lived there, but he didn't own it, right? So then generations came and went, and then you have Moses. And and God's people, the Hebrew people, were living under which empire? You remember? The Egyptians. From the beginning, God's people have always been living with the tension of whoever happens to be in authority or in power. So they had to live under the Egyptian regime. And then what happens later, and this is skipping way ahead in the story, but you have the story of of the exiles being taken away to Babylon. And now God's remnant people, where are they? They're under the Babylonian Empire. And in fact, there's a prophet that even spoke to the people and said, you know what, while you're there, thrive work for the plant gardens, have kiddos, thrive. So even in exile, God's people had to learn how do we navigate, well, we're not Babylonian. We're God's people. Did it end there? No, because who came after Babylon? Anybody know their history? Persia. Persia came. And God's people still living under some other authority. This is nothing new. The tension that we're facing now, I think, is just nothing new. God's people have always had to live in this sort of tension between uh, living in the place we do and uh, the kingdom of Jesus. I mean, what about the first century? Now what empire are God's people living under? The Roman Empire, right? Even as the early church moved through uh, all those ancient cities of Rome, uh, they were always living under attention of a different, different nation, and they had to learn what it meant to be walking in two worlds. Does that make sense? And that's what we're going to lean into today. So, if you have a Bible or a device, find John 17. I think you need to see this for yourself. Find John 17, and we're going to be talking about this this tension of living in two different worlds. I'm Ben, glad you're with us today. Pastor Ben here, whether you're online or in person, glad you're here. We gather like Christ followers all over the planet. As we say a lot around here, we're one big dysfunctional family of faith, all following Jesus. And why do we meet on Sundays? Because that was the day he rose from the dead and changed human history forever. That's why we gather today. It's good to come back to the ground zero, right? Let's uh, And boy, you're thinking, wow, we're going to tackle this subject today on 9-11. You're welcome. Here we go. Let's take a deep breath. One, two, three. Let it out. Let's pray. Father, you're so good and powerful. And you've called us to to, to, to live in the place we do. And what a great place we get to live in. But Father, help us to to navigate the tension uh, of living as people of faith, but also in the place and the country that you've put us in. So Father, help us to be in the world, but not of it, and to honor you as our ultimate king and authority. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So John 17 is where we're going to be. Again, let me just ask the question. Here's the question we're answering. How do we live, right, in the the place that God's called us to and honor the place that we're in, but also honor Jesus as king? That's the That's the tension. No matter what government or empire we're under, and Christ followers all throughout history have been under all kinds of different governments and empires and kingdoms and all that, and they've all, each generation has had to learn, what does it mean to to live in that tension? And and how did Jesus handle it? Well, let's look at Jesus for a second. Jesus was not unfamiliar with people in authority. Think about just the way Jesus handled navigating people in government. Think about the people that he probably saw, like centurions, Roman uh, Roman soldiers. Uh, Those were government people, right, under authority. He he, he dealt with religious authorities. We saw that a lot. In fact, a lot of tension with religious authorities. Uh, He faced uh, governors appointed by the Caesar. He navigated even taxes, and there was one point where Jesus, I think he healed a centurion. Do you remember this story? I think it's where, where he, uh, this, this servants of the centurion, I think come to Jesus and say, Hey, uh, we have someone that's sick at the house. And, 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 and so Jesus is like, okay, I'll, I'll come, come hang out at the house. And they're like, no, 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 I'm not worthy. This is a soldier talking. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but I understand how this authority thing is. So Jesus, you have the authority. If You'll just say the word, and I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus does the healing, like, wow. And then he turns around to the people around him and says, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of religious Israel. I mean, that's a a big statement. Well, what a compliment for this soldier. How did Jesus handle those? Think about taxes. There was one point where, and I don't know if you remember this story, where some people confront Peter. And, and I. sometimes when we bring up Peter from the Bible, everybody wants to like diss him, you know, and say, oh, big mouth guy. I, I think we're giving Peter a bad rap. I think he's all of us. Peter is all of us. Sometimes we say stuff without thinking, and, and but he's all of us. In fact, he's probably better than some of us anyway. But Peter is cornered one time, maybe from some government officials, and said, you know what? Uh, do you guys pay taxes? You know? And Peter says, sure. And then the very next thing that happens, he goes running to Jesus and he's like, do we pay taxes? <laughs> Have you Remember this story? I think it's in Matthew 22 or something. And, uh, and Jesus, as he often does, answers Peter with a question. He said, Peter, let me create a scenario for you. Does the son, the son of the king, I, I'm, I'm making, this is the Ben version, Does the son of the king have to pay taxes? And Peter's like, well, probably not. And he's like, well, I'm kind of more important than the king's son. But anyway, just to do the right thing, go fishing, Peter. Peter was familiar with that. Except when Peter got the fish, there were two coins in the fish's mouth, and he used that to pay the taxes. So here we have what, again, let's think about how Jesus handled authority, even government authority, paid to taxes. honored the soldiers. Think about Jesus in front of Pilate. I mean, this is, this is taking it up a notch. I mean, Jesus knows what's coming. He's seen one of these probably every time he's gone to Jerusalem, all the days of his life, he's seen that, of several of those outside the city. He knows exactly what happens to traitors and anybody who calls anybody else Lord but Caesar. And You have have Jesus in front of a Roman-appointed governor named Pilate. And Jesus still shows him respect. In fact, he said, well, you wouldn't have the authority. Because Pilate's like, you know I have authority over you. And he's like, well, you have authority because God allowed you to have authority. But Jesus still respected that. I find that just fascinating. Jesus dealing with those in authority. And when, when Jesus was wrapping up his ministry, he began to pray for his disciples. And in John 17, if you're familiar with this, some of your Bibles might say the high priestly prayer. This is where Jesus is praying over his, his disciples. And I want to pick up in John 17, verse 11. And I'll, I'll pick it up here. And remember, this is, this is Jesus here speaking about even the tension that we're going to face and isn't it interesting that he says these words? I am no longer in the world, but they—speaking of the disciples—they are in the world. But they are—I'm uh, no longer in I'm the only world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son destruction that is Judas he's talking about that the scripture might be fulfilled verse 13 but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one basically protect them while they're in the world Verse 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. See, these are marching orders that were for those early followers and then down the centuries to us. We are to be in the world but not of the world and that we can trust God's protection while we're living in whatever government or place we happen to be. That we can still be God's people in any place on the globe. No matter where we happen to be. We are in the world, but not of it. And that he would protect us from the evil one, for for the deceiver. And those early followers took that to heart. And they didn't pray for escape. They stayed in the world. And, and, And they would say to each other, Jesus is Lord. Knowing full well that might get them in trouble. They were in the world, but not of the world. And and sometimes that authority would bump up against them. In fact, Peter and John faced that. I think it was a healing in in early early pages of Acts. And you might remember this story. And and, and so the religious authorities arrest them and say, hey, stop talking about this Nazarene guy. Quit quit making us guilty for killing this Nazarene guy or whatever. uh, And stop talking about him. And their response to him in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, is, well, we we can't help but speak of what we saw. In fact, if they had stopped talking about Jesus, that would have been a direct violation of what Jesus told them to do in the Great Commission. Right? Go into all the world. So if they would have obeyed that authority, then they would be violating Jesus' commands. And this is very important for us to see the difference there. That when power spoke to them and said, you can't talk about Jesus anymore, they disobeyed. They said, we've got to to answer to Jesus first, right? But how do we do this, right? How how do you feel right now? I mean, it's the anniversary, 21 years ago, a horrible day in our country. Where are you at on patriotism and love of the country? and and Where are you at on that? And, And do you feel like you're you're following in the steps of even those early followers that were in the world, but not of the world. Are you working for the good? Are you, are you the kind of citizen that would bring a smile to Jesus' face, right? Are we living in that tension? Are we doing it well is my question. I think that's been a struggle. It's been a tension point for many of us. Because how do we honor passages like Romans 13? Have you read Romans 13? Speaking about obeying the authorities. And there's not even any qualifier on what authorities, right? It's just obey the authority. How do we honor that? How do we, how do we honor passages like 1 Peter 2.13, which basically says that we're submit to every human authority? How do we follow that? How do we do that well? And this is just personal for me, but I find myself convicted that I'm not praying enough for those in power. I does some of you even know the senator or sen- senator that you're supposed to be praying for? Uh, are we praying for whoever sits in the White House? Are we doing that consistently? Because that's what we're told to do in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, is to pray for the governing authority. How well are we doing this? I'm just confessing, I'm not very good at it sometimes. Do you pray for the mayor of our town? Do you even know who he is? Brian Dalton, in case you didn't know. <laughs> but, like, do you know the... Sheriff? Are you praying for him? Or are you praying for the fire chief? Do you know his name? name's Todd. See, my point is we read these scriptures and we're like, that seems like a good idea, but sometimes we don't carry it out. Like, are we praying for those in authority? Are we doing that well? See, I think over the years and maybe, you know, you can, you can kind of look through the history of the church and it's not always been good. I get that. But it seems like People of faith have have taken two extremes sometimes with this whole subject. Either there's a sense of escape. We're just going to run away. I'm not going to vote. I'm going to get away from the evils of society. I'm just going to separate myself out. Right? And and so sometimes that's been the the extreme. We're going to get away from it and we're not going to meddle at all and let let those human governments do what they do and I'm not going to say anything about it. We've seen that retreat or separation. That's an extreme. The problem is, retreating from civic life and and, and engagement in the world can lead to isolation, irrelevance, and a failure to be a witness, right? So, So that's not a good extreme, but then I've seen the other extreme happen, and we've seen this over and over in world history. We've seen it in Rome, we've seen it in Europe. It's when there's full integration with the people of faith and government. When that full integration happens, then we're, we're in many ways, having to accept things, we're, we're collaborating, and this, unfortunately, can lead us to compromising our witness. And sometimes much worse, as we've seen in human history. So those, those are the extremes. Well, if neither of those are good, then what do we do? If neither of those, are, well, we go back to Jesus' words. We go back to his words and see how the early church handled it. Because they understood how difficult it might be to pray for a leader. I mean, in the early church, they had to deal with emperors like Nero. Have you looked at the history books on that guy? He was not a stand-up citizen. And I don't even think Claudius, who came after him, was even better. Then there was Tiberius. These are rulers of Rome. And yet the early church thrived. Thrived because they understood we have attention to live in the world, but not of the world. So we go back to Jesus's words, being in, protected by Jesus from the evil one. We can live feet planted where God put us, but also with an eye toward not yet because the kingdom values we're living out now are the ones that echo in eternity in the world, but not of it. So I want to just offer a few things that I think might be helpful for us in navigating this tension, because this is a reality. I don't think this tension is going away, folks. I think it's gonna be the way it is. Uh, It's just gonna be. So, I wanna offer a few things. First one is this. Pray for authority. Pray for those in authority. Okay, let's just start there, because I don't know about you, but I find that when I'm praying for someone, it's hard for me to then turn and put them down, or, to demean them. I just find that in my life, when I'm praying for people, it's harder for me to to drag them through the mud. So we're going to start with praying for authority. So this week, learn who your senators are. I don't know. I mean, pray for those in the White House, whoever occupies that White House. Pray for the people that are in Congress making decisions. People are making laws that affect us. So let's pray that God puts people in their life that love him, that can help them make good decisions, right? Praying for those in authority. I don't think this should be controversial at all. We're called directly to pray for those in authority. So pray for Todd at the firehouse. Pray for, yeah, pray for the people who are in authority. Pray for mayors. Pray for our governor or whoever's coming next. Pray for them. It's harder for us to to put someone down when we're praying for them, right? Doesn't mean we have to always agree. I'm pretty certain that the early church didn't agree with Nero's choices, okay? They still prayed for him and changed the world, okay? Pray for those in authority, pray for the people. Uh, I think here's a best practice. How about praying before you post? And how about getting on your knees before opening your mouth? And I'm pointing at myself too, right? Pray before posting, and get on your knees before you open your mouth. These are best practices for us. So pray, right? Number one, what do we do? Pray. Number two is seeking the good of others. This is right from the commandments of Jesus. We talked about it last week. Uh, to uh, love God with everything you got, right, and love your neighbor as yourself. So seeking the good of other people, and this is something that God's people have always struggled with. In fact, one of the big indictments that God had over the nation of Israel is they kept ne- they kept neglecting. AOWs, you know what AOWs are? Aliens, orphans, and widows. How are we doing with that today? How are we doing, aliens, orphans, and widows? And you'll see God indicting the people of Israel because they weren't taking care of those folks. In fact, Israel was supposed to be a blessing to those folks, and they were ignoring that. How are we doing with that? And I know that's, it shouldn't be controversial. We're called to love those who are marginalized, those who are hurt, abused. How do we handle that? We're called to do that. So seek the good of others. First pray, then seek the good of others. Seek relief for the least of these. It's what Jesus called us to do. It's it's not on the table for for debate. He just asked us to do that. Here's the third thing be a proper citizen. I can't tell you how many times over the last 15 years that people have wanted to meet with me and they want to talk politics and all that stuff, or they're angry about something in government or something like that, and, uh, and then I say, well, have you prayed about it? It's kind of my go-to thing, but I think it's important. And I'm like, well, did you vote? Oh, no, I don't vote. They, 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 they complained for 30 minutes of my time and they didn't even vote. Now, I'm not trying to shame anybody. I get it. Sometimes you feel like your vote doesn't count. I, I get all that, but vote. <laughs> vote. I mean, it, ultimately, if, we're, if you're not voting, you're not even like engaged in it. We're called to be in the world but not of the world, so engage in it. But let me say this. Educate yourself on those who are running. Educate yourself as best you can. I realize you don't, you can't know everything, but read through the actual ballot measures. Like, actually read it. I mean, this, this shouldn't be contrary. Just read the things that we're supposed to be putting our, our, our vote on. Read, find out about the people. And look for, here's the two C's. Ready? Credible and credentialed news sources. Please. Credible and credentialed, okay? I realize that you know, journalism's kind of fallen by the wayside and everybody can put in their little notes and Reddit and all that stuff, but look, look for really solid resources, right? I read a lot and I, don't, I can't read everything, but I try to be educated. So when you get to that point, be a proper citizen, right? Honor what the prophet Jeremiah told the exiles to do in Babylon, thrive, help it thrive, plant gardens, do what you gotta do to make it better, right? So we educate ourselves with credible and credentialed information. Can I leave it there? Do I need to to press on that a little bit more? But pray. The first thing is to pray. Second thing, seek the good of others. Third, be a proper citizen, be in the know, then you can cast your vote. And the fourth one is this, and I saved this for last. But when human authority attempts to force us to violate clear commands of Jesus, we have to speak up. And I'm not just talking about, I mean, this, this, is, this is a dangerous thing. And if you think about it, I mean, Peter and John had to make a, a decision. Because if they're going to keep talking about this Jesus is Lord thing, they're probably going to get arrested. Because in Rome, who was, who was Lord? Caesar. So they had to make a decision whether they were going to do that, stick their neck out. But when human authority attempts to stop us from the clear commands of Jesus, then we speak up. Sometimes that may mean that we have to disobey. But it doesn't take away from those other three I just talked about. Those are still true. Every one of them, still true. Sometimes we have to speak truth to power. I mean, think of the times in history when the church either couldn't or didn't speak up about injustices sometimes we we do need to be a voice of truth to power that's what the prophets did in the scriptures they would speak truth to power when needed but it it may get messy and it might be it might be dangerous but pray right we're going to start with that bedrock of prayer so get to know who are the people that are making decisions for us in in government so pray for those in authority seek the good of others, that includes the aliens, orphans, and widows. I'm not sure exactly how that, those categories work always in modern culture, but we need to wrestle with that. How do we help aliens, orphans, and widows? How, and how do we be a proper citizen, educate ourselves, credible and credentialed, right? But there are times when we may need to disobey when human authority tries to force us to violate clear commands of Jesus. And we may need to do that at some point. I want to end with this because... Again, I come back to Peter because I think he was pretty important there in the early stages of, of the church. And listen to what Peter says toward one of the end communications he had toward the church. Listen to what he said in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 13. Listen carefully to what he lists here. Live as people who are free. We like that. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil. So, freedom with the seatbelt, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, not using it to hurt other people, right? But living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And I didn't make this up. Honor who? The emperor. Again, historians have lots lot to say about some of those Roman emperors, including characters like Nero, who were not good. Yet Peter has the audacity and the strength and will and says, hey, here's how we live in the world but not of the world. That means we live as people who are free, We've been given so much, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, honor the emperor, fear God. I just, wow. And this is how kind of Peter's swan song, if you will. And if you know some of church history, we know that Peter was, well, it sounds like he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to die the way Jesus did. Because he probably was saying, no, Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is. Living in the tension of in the world, but not of it. So we pray. <laughs> Can I harp on this one more time? Pray. Hit your knees before opening your mouth. Pray before posting. Right? Pray. Pray for those in authority. By name. Uh, seek the good of others. That includes aliens, orphans, widows, and whatever in that category would be in our modern world. Be a proper citizen. You know, get to know what you're voting for and who you're voting for. Right? Credible and credential information. And then sometimes... There may be times where we have to disobey when we're asked by human authority to violate God's commands. And ultimately, we do what Peter said, to live as people who are free, but not use our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and what? Honor the emperor. Until Jesus comes back, we're going to live with this tension of in the world, but not of the world. But Jesus prayed for us. And he said, I will help you against the evil one as you do this day in and day out. Let us live like this, with, with our feet engaged in where we're at, but our hearts fully immersed in the kingdom, that Jesus is the king. But we're going to work for the good of wherever God's called us to and love on people as we can, pray for those in authority, but keeping our hearts immersed in the kingdom of Jesus. I think in this way, we can be in the world, not of the world, and live out the ways of Jesus in the U.S.A., right? Let's pray together. Father, you're mighty and powerful. And on this day, we remember so many who lost their lives. That There's a heaviness there, Father. And we pray that you'd help us to, to have the courage to live out your ways here in the United States. Father, help us to live uh, free, but not use our, our freedom as a cover-up, but to live as your servants, to, to, to honor uh, your people, uh, to, to fear you, and, and, and Father, to, to obey those in authority. Father, help us to be in the world, but not of it And help us to put you first and your kingdom first. And Father, may your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.